Welcome back to KafaruCast, everyone. I'm riding solo today. Frank the Tank Peralta is in Idaho trying to shoot a mule deer, from what I understand. I know he will not be pissing anywhere beside the vehicle because his <laughs> hunting partner does not like that. <laughs> Get in trouble. <laughs> but we have a, a longtime friend and... Uh, uh, well, we've never really hunted together, but we nope. went on lots of adventures together. Uh-huh. Uh, we, I guess you would be the hunting hippie, Grant Gladson. The old mountain <laughs> mutt. Yes, sir. Thanks for having me. Yeah, you are a unique individual when it comes to that, although you do make fun of my eating habits that I eat like a hippie. <laughs> but Grant, you've got long hair, you do yoga, and you kill a ton of shit. I, uh, I like to spend time in the woods. It eventually uh, turns out I get some meat in the freezer, but yeah. Yeah, and you drive a Subaru, don't you? I do, yeah. It's an upgrade from the Honda Civic. I can get it to a few more spots than I can get the Civic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but you, you're from Wyoming originally, aren't you? Originally, yeah. Yep. Born in Laramie and, and grew up kind of in between there in Colorado. Gotcha. But uh, you um, started last year, I guess, uh, as an assistant guide for Coke Wallace up in uh, Alaska, right? Wrangler. Yeah, I was Wrangler. I'm like the, we call them the guidelings. Wrangler or guideling. <laughs> I'm working my way into a guide. I'm Now I'm good to go. I got my requirements in, so I just have to fill out the paperwork and take a test and I'll be a, a licensed assistant guide in Alaska. And you, uh, what were you up there, a couple months? Yeah, I think I was up there for 60, 62 days this last stretch. Gotcha. You guys you guys killed a few sheep and a grizzly? Yeah, I was on four doll rams and a grizzly. Yeah, a seven and a half foot blonde tip sow by the end of it all. Gotcha. Cool. Well, are you, are you digging that? Because you're also working, become a fireman too, aren't you? Yeah, I do like it. And uh, hopefully if everything goes out right, uh, once I get my firefighting position, uh, I'll be able to go spend, you know, a couple hunts up in Alaska, keep doing my thing uh, with my outfitter down in Arizona and Mexico and get some guiding in, um, have some time for myself, but also have somewhat of a real job just in case I break my leg or something. Yeah. And and so as far as like, uh, what, how old are you? Because you're still pretty young. What are you, 24? 25. Yeah. 20, holy cow. You and... <laughs> Well, you're saying I'm younger than Frank, right? Same age as Dana and yeah. three years younger than Frank. Yeah. And right for the there. for those who don't know Grant yet, uh if anybody pays attention to social media, he's the long haired guy that always was training with us. I think I got a video of you sprinting up the stairs with sixty pounds in your back. I think that happened, yeah, when we first started doing the training. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um so what uh like as far as uh for like I said, for people you are a bit of an entity because you do not look like a hunter. Um, <laughs> but what uh, coming from Wyoming, you were raised in a hunting background, basically. I oh mean, yeah, my my mom would get mad at my dad because uh, he'd take me out when I was like two, three years old, like when I was just able to get out and about, and uh, probably just more of a pain in my dad's ass than anything. Uh, he would drag us around, you know, start shooting rifles real young, shooting bows real young. So it's. Just about all I've known, all I spent my fall doing. Uh, but yeah, I was, I was pretty fortunate. I grew up mostly just hunting Wyoming, though. Didn't spend a lot of time down here in Colorado just because my dad knew Wyoming a lot better. So chased a lot of antelope and, and mule deer until I was able to get out of high school. And then that's when I started to get more into the backpacking and, and uh, the archery elk and all that. Yeah. Well, and you guys have, you're pretty successful every year. Usually, you're usually either involved in 
by yourself or helping out or whatever, putting five, six, seven, eight, nine animals on the ground. Yeah, yeah, it's I'm it's typically right in there. I I try to stick to all the public land stuff. A lot of them are not high success hunts, but um, this last year I was pretty fortunate. I was able to hunt. I think I hunted seven different states. One of those is old Mexico, so it was a country, not a state, but uh, hunted <laughs> in Sonora. And uh, yeah, it was I was a part of a, a couple animals coming off the, the mountain. Yeah. And you do that on a relatively low budget, meaning oh, you're yeah. not in total poverty, but I would say you're scratching poverty. Uh, when I say that, meaning you're one of those guys that I refer people to when they say they can't afford it. Mm-hmm. I'll say, well... Look at Grant. He figures out a way. Like, you can afford it. You just may have to sacrifice. Yeah. In your case, how long did you drive that piece of shit Civic around? Oh, I drove that for uh, four years or so. I think I paid 500 bucks for it. And the person that sold it to me told me it wasn't running. So we replaced spark plugs and plug wires. And I was getting like 36 to the gallon. A really good car to travel around with. Especially living here in the Denver area. I think it's... For me, it's not very wise financially, especially to drive a big truck around. That's why I went to a Subaru when the Civic shit out on me. But, uh, I mean, that— How many elk do you have on that Civic? I had a couple, haven't <laughs> I've probably <laughs> driven out at least 15 to 20 elk in that thing. But, you know, only—I I try to be honest where if they don't fit in there, I'll put them on top, which it doesn't take a very big bull to fit on top um, or to not be able to fit inside the car. But, yeah, I've, I've driven quite a few uh, bulls out strapped down to the top of the Civic. Yeah, and you, and you don't really stress too much on the newest, latest, greatest gear. You just use what works. and Exactly. Yeah, and, and I, I think there's something to be— said for that i wasn't really sure which direction we'd take this podcast but this is definitely one thing i wanted to touch on is mm-hmm. um obviously when you get locked down with wife and kids and everything else you, you know you have obligations but when i got divorced mm-hmm. that was the first thing i knew there was no way in hell i was going to get anything more than partial custody we worked that out and rather than dragging myself down in the dumps i was like well I'm going to do whatever the fuck I want now. And that's what I did. (laughs) And so I started hunting a lot. And the one thing, like, um, obviously before I started getting everything for free, I kind of did what you did is I would look for deals or discounts Mm -hmm. and I would do side jobs. And then, you know, when um, if I wanted to go hunt somewhere, maybe I didn't have the most plush living arrangements, but I had a tent and a truck and I had a little Nissan what are those things called? Uh, like an Xterra looking thing? Looks mm-hmm. like a Tacoma. Yep. Um, and then, uh, you know, you've got a way to get water. You got food. You got a bed. And, and then actually when I went through my divorce, that's what I slept on was a Thermarest um, sleeping pad for like eight months. When chicks came <laughs> over, it was hard to explain. We didn't sleep at my house very often. That, and that's pretty Kinda much. Kind of hard <laughs> to get two on one of those sleeping pads. <laughs> I know. And then you're worried like you're going to blow it up if you really get into it, right? <laughs> like, I need this too. You know, we're going hunting suits. I'm going to need that Thermarest. Take it easy tonight. Up <laughs> on the floor. But, but that's pretty much what uh you're able to do because you go over to hawaii and hunt sometimes oh yeah so what uh what are your main i mean you just kind of roll with the basic necessities don't you yeah i uh you know i was pretty lucky working at the the store i did for a while um i got a a pretty good hookup 
from uh, with Sitka in first light. So I was able to get most of my system together and, you know, a couple seasons in Alaska helped me tweak it and dial it in even more so. Uh, but I was able to get into a lot of my stuff at a heavy discount at least. Um, so I was pretty fortunate and able to get a good setup. But now that I have my setup, like I'm, I know what I need. I'm comfortable. I don't need to be chasing new jackets every year or anything just cause especially right now I can't afford it, uh, even at a discount. So got to be smart about it, but I got my clothing pretty dialed in for Alaska and anything Western or anything I've experienced at least. Uh, you know, and then once I find something that works like a backpack, you know, I've been using your guys' pack for since you put it on my back um, and been wearing those things out as quickly as I possibly can, which still takes a while. Yeah. Yeah. We usually rotate you out once a year or so. Yeah. Just about. Depending. Yeah. There for a while, we made jokes that you only showed up when you needed something, which was okay. <laughs> yeah. You guys, I know you guys are busy here. I try not to uh, get in your way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, what, uh, they, for what well, you got anything else for the rest of the year? Because I know you spent obviously oh, yeah. all the time in Alaska. What do you got going on now? Oh yeah, so actually today, uh, after I make sure no one dies in our in my mock EMT tests, I'm gonna head up to Wyoming. Uh, my brother drew a really good tag up there, and my dad also has the same tag. So we got two bulls to chase up there, and then doing some doe antelope, helping my uncles get into hunting um, this October. So I take them out for some doe antelope, get their feet wet a little, and then backpacking in for a third rifle hunt in Colorado elk and deer uh late season Montana rifle hunt uh trying to see if I can find a bull up there again and then two weeks of late season elk guiding in Arizona and two weeks of desert mule deer guiding in uh, Sonora Mexico so I still got pretty pretty full season I'd say yeah and I think that um Again, kind of coming from both sides of things. I mean, I've got it made now because Kafaru pays for most of my hunts, and I don't have to pay for shit. But I make jokes. You've probably heard me say it like life was so much simpler when I didn't know anyone and I only had one backpack yep. and one <laughs> pair of pants. I, I think uh, thinking outside the box, uh, when it comes to gear, like specifically, I used to just wear backpacking clothing and a ghillie top. Uh -huh. Like I had a leafy shot top. It's light as shit, so... I could, because I was so poor, um, I could wear my backpacking hunting clothes for backpacking hunting and around town, which is probably why my uniform of dress <laughs> from day to day still looks the same. I wore hiking boots to the gym and uh, the ghillie suit lasted for like seven years. And uh, I would just throw that on over the top. And I think uh, I bought a set of ma uh, Mammut Cormier pants, which mm -hmm. is uh, Cryptic's altitude pants same okay. thing that's yeah, yeah. where they got the idea yep they were 220 bucks i put windows in a dude's house and i bought those and dude i wore those until they wore out for like five years but you're not going to be wearing something different every day no because <laughs> you can only afford one thing exactly so long as you can get over that you can i mean it saves you thousands of dollars by being able to accept not matching buy oh, yeah. used or discounted shit mm -hmm. and then really which is one thing that you should be commended on having the what's the word intestinal fortitude to go like you'll mm -hmm. drive for a hunt overnight to hunt for a day or two oh yeah <laughs> and, and it's successful you're the one elk hunt went that way didn't it you when you drove to montana 
Uh, yeah, so I drove up to Montana last year kind of on a whim. I had done a really good archery hunt. We came close a couple times uh, on some nice bulls, and it just didn't quite come together. And so I was sitting there. I think we went and took photos of some mule deer, and then I kind of texted my buddy who lives up there and was curious if he hadn't tagged out. He hadn't, so we drove up, had two days to hunt, and we should have killed both bulls on the first day, but we ended up uh, going into the second day. I got mine the first day. Buddy had a couple chances, didn't shake out because of a faulty scope and then the next day we got him sorted out and he and he smoked a, a young bull and and got some meat in the freezer so hopefully this time i'll have a little more time but yeah i mean it's i drove i think round trip i was 20 to 24 hours roughly with the shitty winter roads in montana and wyoming and hunted for you know about that many days of uh hours of light and had packed two bulls out of the back country yeah, and, and Frank's another one. He'll do the same, mm-hmm. you know, thing where he'll drive all night for a fucking coyote, which I don't understand, but whatever. <laughs> but he'll drive, you know. Well, when he killed his antelope this year, um, we uh, we we came. He came back. We were supposed to go to Montana after the deer hunt. And the mm-hmm. deer hunt, we had to go back down in there because I couldn't kill one the first go around. Came back home. Frank went antelope hunting. I tried to go and I had to take care of some work stuff. And uh, we we're supposed to go to Montana and those fucking marmots ate some of my wiring in my truck. So we had to oh. get that fixed. And <laughs> I was like, Frank, we're going to be delayed. And Frank was like, I would have just stayed down there. He's just sleeping in his truck, right? Yep. And uh, I'm like, well, you know what? We can we can go in Colorado. So we took Frank's vehicle. We tried to go to an overnighter here, which he almost pulled off and shot a cow, even though they're like every elk had been scared off the mountain. I got something wrong with me, super sick. So we drove back, and that crazy bastard drove all the way back down again and shot his antelope on an overnight trip. And uh, most people probably won't drive three and a half hours, four hours one way for Frank to hunt six hours to drive back, but he killed his antelope that day. Um, you know, so it, 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 having the commitment to, to not just physically stay in shape or whatever, but to just fucking go is, uh, more difficult for people than I think a lot of, a lot realize. Um, especially when you're talking about leaving work at five o'clock in the afternoon and driving till midnight and then hiking in or whatever. Yeah, getting there for with enough time to take like a a quick power nap before first light. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah but it's you know for me I don't I have yet to kill anything from my house. Uh, maybe that's because of where I live, but it definitely helps for me to get out. The more time I spend stumbling around, it seems like the better odds of me finding something are. And so I you know if I have the tag and I can I have time to burn, then I'll I'll cruise up whether it's for a couple hours or a week. Yeah, and well, I was talking to Jordan Bud earlier this mm-hmm. morning, and because I wanted to get her on the podcast, and she was telling me that the bull she killed was luck, and I'm like, well, you got to be out there to be lucky. <laughs> uh, and I was yep. listing off a few animals for her, where I'm like, that big black bear in Idaho didn't have a whole lot to do with hunting skill. Mm-hmm. I was walking up an old grade, and it had, and I was obviously smart enough to sneak up and shoot it, but. If I wouldn't have went, most people wouldn't have hiked up there. Yep. I was out in the woods to get lucky, and mm-hmm. luck favors the prepared. And I'm like, well, no matter how lucky you got, at least you were out there sleeping on the ground or whatever. Um, and I know a lot of trips where you go working a job and everything else on a tight budget, you still get it done. And uh, you and Nickel Nuts shot those two good deer. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, and that's a and that, low budget hunt. Yeah, and that was one of those that like. 
you know, hadn't scouted a ton. We're kind of going, had been generally in that area, but hadn't been to this spot, going to that spot, walked out in 10 minutes, see a buck. I just was shooting antlers, shoot that. And then we're packing that one out and it right at last light, send him through an opening and he shoots another big buck. So it's, you know, were we like some crazy, you know, badass hunters that did some crazy stuff? Like, you know, we capitalize on our opportunities, but more than anything, we just stayed out there and yeah. put ourselves in a place where a deer might be in it and it came together. Yeah. Oh yeah, for, for sure. Now with, uh, uh, like we talked a minute for about your career, you used to work in it like an outdoor store basically, mm-hmm. and you worked there and then you did some side jobs so you could keep you know, hunting basically. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and yep. then how much longer do you have for the, uh, EMT firefighting stuff? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm just about done with my EMT. Got to get my fire one. So I'll, I'll be done in May is the plan. And then I'll be eligible to start testing and it might spend a summer or two running around cutting trees down with a chainsaw and fighting wildland fires. So we'll see how that all shakes out. But about a year till I, uh, at least have a crack at getting a position. It's pretty competitive though so um we'll see how long it takes to actually lock one down yeah and then uh you're gonna i mean you mentioned it earlier i think but you're gonna try and guide the rest of your life or for quite a while you like it that much oh yeah the camp life for me is it's about as good as it gets um you know i like to have the balance of it all but i really like to be out there and you know in alaska where you're cutting runway you're building tack sheds with uh with rough carpentry and and just learning some skills you don't really get to always do out here and living a different pace of life it's a lot simpler it's all hard work it's you know long days and and uh short nights of sleep but it's for me worth it by all means it's good for the soul so yeah ideally if i could spend you know a month or two spread out throughout the season uh guiding i have just just about just as much fun guiding as I do hunting for myself. It's, uh, it's a good challenge to get guys that are, you know, uh, limited in certain ways when it comes to physical abilities or shooting abilities or whatever it may be and figuring out how to help them connect on their animal. Uh, it's, and you're in the Alaska range too, which is a a pretty good place to spend some time. And you're, you guys are horse packing in and then hiking from there, right? Yeah. So we, uh, we have two hard camps back in there. So we'll take horses, um, quite a ways into the 40 some miles back to the hard camp. And that hard camp will kind of be our base camp for the season where we keep all of our extra equipment. When we have, you know, a, a stove, a propane stove there, it's pretty good amen- amenities. You, you stay warm and, and have everything you need close. And then from there, you know, depending on the client's abilities, the hunt we're doing, uh, you know, kind of the comfort that the client wants to deal with for 10 days, uh, we'll either take off with backpacks or we'll take off with horses and and go spike out for a a chunk at a time. And what's that, uh, just for people that are going to message me anyway, what's that outfit called with Coke? Midnight Sun Safaris. Uh, and they are, I've known Coke for like 10 years. I didn't know it was called that. That's funny. Coke Wallace is a, (laughs) Coke Wallace is a wicked dude. He had a, he, he's tough. Yeah. That dude, he's been on, he's been hunting sheep for 30 plus years and he's done it. Um, you know, the way we do it now, it's a real hunt. It's a, it's a backcountry hunt, just like you'd hunt elk and, you know, anywhere in the lower 48, just 
a lot less forgiving, I would say, up there. You're just, at least from what I've experienced from a dry Colorado, you know, Montana, Wyoming climate, uh, you just get rained on all the time. So you got to deal with being wet and everything. But yeah, he, the way he's set up, you can do a lot more when you have horses and you have hard camps. Um, it's a, I was pretty lucky that you put me on to him because that's, from what I've seen, he's one of the, um, the better outfits, especially because he has horses, but he, he does a fantastic job at taking care of his clients and working with them and taking care of us, making sure we have what we need. He's about as laid back as it gets at the sheep show. He's usually wearing some cotton shitty camo uh-huh. pants and a t-shirt. <laughs> and his and, Crocs. And it, yeah, I was going to say Crocs or whatever, those Birkenstocks, yep. some kind of sandal. Yeah, yep. super mellow guy. Absolutely. Um, but he's tough. He, yeah, he got into pretty bad horse wreck this year and had to go to the hospital and he's in a wheelchair right now, but recovering faster than the doctor's ever seen anyone recover from a broken pelvis like that. So it's, he's a tough guy. He hangs in there. Yeah. No kidding. I talked about booking a hunt, a doll hunt with him with the, the bow, just cause I, you know, I know he's got his shit together and he's a, a good dude, mm-hmm. but, and it's definitely the hunts up in the NWT, the helicopter hunts are quite a bit different. And it's not like I have a vast experience in sheep hunting, but it is nicer to land the helicopter uh, by the sheep, but it's certainly a lot less of a hunt. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> so you might, you'll definitely shoot more sheep. I mean, the thing is, is there's some guys that physically can't do a backpack or horsepack sheep hunt. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, especially, you know, if you're 150 pounds overweight, you're probably. It's hard on uh, horses. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The helicopter's a way to go. Plus it lengthens a guide's life. But yep. there's other people that want to go and get the shit kicked out of them yeah but they also want a chance of success and i know coke has a pretty dang high success rate as Mm -hmm. well which is good so yeah we if we don't get you a shot on a ram within your comfortable shooting distance um which you know i think for most people's roughly 200 um around there and we always try to get as close as we can but yeah if we don't get you a, a crack at a legal ram um then we didn't do our job and and one way or another you're going to get taken care of so we you know we we do our it does it may take nine ten days to make that come together but uh we hunt hard we cover a ton of country we know where a lot of sheep are um and there's there's plenty of rams up there to chase every year at the end of the season we always find a a basin that's full of like 80 plus rams just stacked in there and you know a bunch of rams you haven't seen yet a bunch of rams you did see from earlier it's pretty wild how they come out of the word work as snow starts to fall up in that uh that higher higher country oh gotcha this is dude this is the kind of father i am i (laughs) i'm not great at physics dude it's been a long time since i've done physics and uh, (laughs) my daughter's having trouble with her physics homework so i'm trying to think of the smartest people i knew and paul gustafson uh he's an engineer right yeah matt Mm -hmm. fettig big Matt. oh yeah super smart and uh bill with iron wheel broadheads were the three smartest people i could come up with so i'm i'm texting matt now (laughs) trying to get answers to the homework i need my daughter's gonna be calling you she needs help with physics (laughs) and uh I feel uh, to, uh, squirrel totally off squirrel. the subject, but you know my my daughter is so smart. Mm-hmm. She's surpassed me probably three years ago, but now my my ex wife, because she's taking college level physics in high school, and she sent these to me, and I can cheat 
and do them. You just pull up physics for dummies. There's, you know, certain things. A plane's traveling at 540 miles at 43 degrees, 780 miles at 53 <laughs> degrees. After six hours, yeah, how far <laughs> apart are they? I could figure that out, but it, she's having trouble grasping some of the things, and I'm like, it's not going to do do any good for me to jerry-rig this, figure mm-hmm. it out after four hours, give her the answer and say, I think. Mm-hmm. So I'm hoping these guys can help her out with yeah. that because, uh, I mean, I'm only good at hiring tutors at this point. Good God. Yeah, that's the way, man. I, I had to take some remedial uh, math classes to get into this EMT class to you know make sure I had my basic level of math. And I was going back through this math that I hadn't done since, I don't know, eight nine years ago and it was just it looked like chinese to me i had no idea what i was looking at it came back to me but man it's it's funny i spent a lot of time learning a lot of math that uh, doesn't really apply to life anymore yeah right yeah all right matt says he can help her um see matt is uh uh one of the guys that uh train or she trains with us Uh how big is he used oh, to be about Jesus. 400 pounds. Yeah, he's lost quite a bit of weight. He's in pretty good shape. Um, but he paid O-line for DU, didn't he? I, did he play college ball? I didn't yeah, know, he, if he, I I didn't think know he, that was the case. I think he did play college ball. I should get him on here. He's yeah. He's extremely smart. Um, he's funnier than hell, too. And uh, <laughs> he gets on uh, forums a lot, which I don't ever get on them. Yeah. Um, at all, but he gets on there or whatever and chimes in. But I saw a photo of him in a boat holding a fish, uh, and he was as wide as this table. I'm mm-hmm. not sure. I bet he had to have lost 200 pounds. He lost quite a bit, and he can he can move up uh, the stairs in a mountain pretty decent. What for, is he? Probably six he, six. He's got to be in there. Cause how tall are you? You're six one. You're, yeah, and he's quite a multiple inches above you, right? Six. Oh, he dwarfs me. Yeah, he's at least six four, and he's still not a small human. Oh, and fucking hands are huge. Yeah, yeah if he's I, big... I wonder how much elk he could carry. That makes me curious. I don't know, but I know he's got to get special boots because his feet are so big. He's got to get custom boots. Yeah, yeah which, he, he does. That's cheap. Yeah. Speaking of uh, physical fitness, I went recently. Uh, and got my uh, testosterone and uh, uh, growth hormone levels checked. Uh-huh. I'm all screwed up. Are you? Um, yeah, I didn't. Uh, well, you've trained with me. I mm-hmm. get up the mountain fast, right? Yeah. I mean, uh-huh. I can go, but um, I don't know. As I got older, I was starting to get like like tired a little bit, but then I wasn't sleeping well. And uh, dude, I sleep like six, eight hours a night now. For really? like 20 years, I probably slept three to four hours a night. I mean, how? Well, I thought you were supposed. I thought you would finally learn how to sleep faster. I was gonna try to learn your your <laughs> techniques well, I, to sleep faster. I, was I get, still need six to eight hours. I was getting worried that uh, I would die at a young age or something mm-hmm. from not sleeping because everybody was telling me it'll catch up to you. And for the life of me, I I couldn't sleep. It didn't matter. I just couldn't yeah. sleep much, which was extremely productive. I mean, I got a lot done. Yeah, but. Uh, as I've I've gotten older a little bit, and I'm and by no means am I saying I'm old, but I'm definitely <laughs> I'm not 20 anymore. So I had a average test levels, but the other levels were screwed up. The mm-hmm. dispersed test, and then my growth hormone level was shit, like mm-hmm. non-existent. And so I'm taking all kinds of stuff now. But dude, I'm sleeping. I even slept in on Sunday. I was supposed to go get video. What? So I slept. Uh, 
eight hours. I don't think I've slept eight hours in probably 20 years. So what, you woke up at like 6.15? Exactly. Uh, we were supposed to be <laughs> there. you sleeping <laughs> in. Well, for, for me, yeah, I know, right? Um, we were supposed to be there at 7, and I think I text uh, Tommy at like 6.18. I was like, dude, I'm going to be late. I just woke up. Because I haven't used an alarm clock ever. Mm -hmm. I don't even own one. And so I've never needed one. But I think um, the... Uh, the, the, especially you being younger and Frank, I'm trying to help him out because I didn't listen to anybody that told me don't lift that, have somebody help you, it's too heavy. I'm like, oh, I got it. I'm fine. That shit's starting to catch up with me a little oh, yeah. bit. Uh, my knees are still, still good, but I don't – I mean, do you go, when you pack out elk, do you guys split it or do you try to man up and do half of it at one time? Uh, it depends on how big of a bull we kill. I'm really good at killing young bulls, so that's a lot easier to split in half and go. For the most part, that's what we've done. Um, I've had a couple friends pull the, oh, my backpack isn't big enough, so I tell them <laughs> that I can get them that, I can get that sorted out for next season, no problem. I know back bags that are plenty big enough um but yeah do we typically i hate going back even if it's like two miles um unless i just feel like i'm not it's not physically possible with that much weight and the terrain's too rough i typically try to just take half a boned out bull elk um with myself and then my partner you know whoever i'm hunting with will we'll do the same so that we don't have to make a trek back into the back country yeah i did uh one of the worst was with Nickel Nuts when we packed his mm -hmm. elk out. That was a bad one. Um, How I, heavy were your pack? Weren't you? You were like carrying me in your backpack. 178 on the scale, mm -hmm. I think, 179. Um, well, when I first pulled it up, it ma the scale maxed at 200, and from reefing it up, it maxed well, it, so yeah. I had to go slower or whatever. Mm -hmm. And and his was about the same. Um, and that was a long— But you guys went— because I've carried 160, 170 pound packs, but I haven't gone more than mile and a half, two miles with it. And even that was brutal. You guys went like three or four times that distance, didn't you? How far seven, was it? Seven, seven miles. Yeah, I that's, think. that's, um, I think it took life <laughs> off me. That, um, that's probably where I'd say, you know what? We're going to take uh, a quarter at a time or split it up a little bit because I don't think I could do that. It, it, it It's laziness for Pete, me. People are like, man, that's hardcore. I'm like, no, I, just... I flat out don't want to walk back up. <laughs> yeah, I get that. And I, I remember that morning I pulled the meat. We had it in that pond. I pulled it out. And I was like, I'll take a little bit more because he's got the rack, put it in my pack, and I picked the pack up. And I was like, whoo. I don't know. I don't know. And I was like pacing around my path, like, can I do this? And I got it up on my back, and I'm like, yeah, I, I can, I can make it. And uh, and and we made it. Um, some of us more favorable than others, but mm -hmm. the, uh, I think long term, I'm I've got to be taking life off my knees. It's that's the thing with at least with training where I've come to is I carry enough heavy packs throughout season. That like when we go out and train, I know there's a couple guys that like to go really heavy with weight, uh, and I just don't. I like to stay 30, 40 pounds. I'm always lighter than everybody and still behind everybody, but still, I uh, I just would rather save my knees for the you know the actual uh, pack out because you you only have so many hundred pound plus pack outs in the life of your knees. I feel like, and I'd rather try to preserve mine and, and continue to do this as long as I can. Cause I know if I start having knee issues at 25, I'm going to be, uh, 
a pile of junk when I'm in my 60s. Yeah, no kidding. We'll see. Knock on wood. I'm fairly good so yeah, you're, you're so far. I don't know how your body handles it, but you yeah, you can you can haul some weight a long ways and pretty often. I think it's because I was so fat and roided out before. I'm used to packing an extra 50 out of the gate. So it's 50 pound packs just. Your normal weight. <laughs> I, I will say on that hop pack out, I was smoking it down the mountain just to get it off my back. Mm-hmm. I just, it was so demoralizingly heavy. And I knew how far, and like we'd never come up that trail, but yeah. I knew, I, I looked at a map and I'm like, hmm. And we were coming down the one time I was hunched over because I didn't want to sit where I couldn't get back up. Yep. And hikers were passing me and I'm sure I looked not good and i finally at one point once we got to the trail i told uh ding dong i was like dude i'm not waiting for you i gotta go i was like i can't i can't wait any longer this is killing me and i remember getting to the trailhead and laying in my underwear um <laughs> under the truck because it'd get out of the shade because i was dying it was horrible yeah but the, i think though um like uh i don't know what if it's like this alpha male thing or like you know whatever because i truly on my end don't do it because i'm trying to prove something because generally i'm by myself so it's not like yeah. you can prove it. it's a true it's truly laziness but you you're one of those guys though at a fairly lightweight frame you can pack you half your body weight plus another third relatively because what do you weigh yeah. now 165 no no i'm like man i've gotten chubbies well actually since <laughs> I went into I went into Alaska 185, probably the first time I've ever been like you know Grant chubby in my life. But um, and I I lost some weight. I leaned out a little bit, but I typically like I typically have been hovering around 180. I either trade it for fat. I trade my muscle for fat or fat for muscle. But stay right around that 180. Did you weigh that much when I first met you? No, when I when we first met, I was still struggling to put weight on, so I was like that 160, 165, and and I still did pretty good then. But I think I was wearing my body more. Now I'm I have a little more or meet on the frame that I'm not um, taxing myself so damn bad. Yeah. What, uh, when you got, you just showed me a photo. How big was that one Ram you guys got up there? Oh, he was 32. He was 33 and a half long and 32 wide. So he was just like a freak. He looks like a longhorn. I mean, just comes straight off his head. It's one of the most unique Rams. In yeah. fact, we may use that photo for this podcast because yeah. that photo is ridiculous. I got a, I got a couple uh, with him in the backpack too. And it, you know, when you put him on your back and you see how far he sticks out <laughs> to the sides of my shoulders and he's double broomed, you know, so he, he's he knocked heavy. Oh, yeah. heavy. Yeah. Yeah, and he's he's fourteen some on the bases and carries it through. He's a beautiful ram, eleven and a half year old sheep. I mean, he's like the textbook. Like if I could go shoot a doll ram, that's the kind of ram I'd like to find. A big, nasty, heavy old double broomer is just like the dream. Well, we shot one that was thirty two and a half or thirty three wide, mm-hmm. and the NWT that was um, thirty nine. Yeah, huge ram. You, but it, you know, I don't know if it's gay or what. what not in a negative way, people. No hate whoa, mail. Whoa, whoa. But uh, <laughs> it was, um, it was not a breeding male. It was not yeah. a fighting male. Mm-hmm. I mean, la- I mean, at eleven years old, I don't know if it had been in a scrape. It really just lamb perfect. Tips. Oh, dude, it was well. Yeah, and and that's a beaut. You know, a lot of guys want those double tipped rams. They're, that's the um, kind of your typical doll sheep, your um, representative animal per se. I mean, a 39 inch Ram is a lot better than a representative, but the double tip is a, is a good luck. A lot of people like that, but I'm more of a double broomer kind of guy. Yeah. They up there, they were very clear on the fact that the younger 
newer generations likes long curly tips and the older more experienced generation likes <laughs> double blooms uh-huh. uh, I, I remember uh t- them talking about that or whatever because i mean the double broom rams looks good but f- i was trying to explain photography wise mm-hmm. they don't look as cool as big long curly tipped ones um to me, yeah, on a yeah. photography mm-hmm. side, but the, that one that we shot was funny because you know never argue with a Lancaster when it comes to knowledge. He uh, had told me which Ram he thought was the lead Ram. Yep, because we went in for a double, and it was harder and I, and uh, the lead Ram he said was a one horned Ram, and we got in there and there was that big wide curly bastard, and mm-hmm. I'm like, he's eleven. There's no way that one horn Ram. Yeah, that was the lead Ram. Um, you know, when you shoot the lead ram, they all just stand there. They don't really know what to do. So yep. then you shoot the other, you know, ram. Mm-hmm. At, what do you call like, don't you call them like Thomas and Earl or something? Yeah. You have names <laughs> that was, for them. I didn't. As I was uh, learning all this for through Clay, um, you know, he said, uh, for example, Earl uh, could be outscore Tom or vice versa, meaning just because it's the highest scoring or yeah. the longest or the most massive doesn't mean it's the lead ram. Yeah. And, you know, Thomas uh, is teaching Earl all mm-hmm. the things. He's learning it along the way, and Earl will take Thomas' spot as soon as you kill Thomas. Yep. But it will not matter when you shoot Earl. They're all running. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if you don't take Thomas don't out take of the group. It. And yep. Clay's, obviously, I've learned now f- through Clay, he can tell by the herd dynamics which one's the lead ram. hmm from a helicopter flying over, he's going to tell you which one the lead ram is. We're watching him, and I'm I'm not seeing what he sees. I don't yeah. have his experience. And luckily, we if it was bighorns and we tried for a double, you can't tell that way that he taught me how to score. Mm-hmm. You can't tell that for them running away on a bighorn. No. Uh, yeah. on, a, on, a, on a doll, you can. Mm-hmm. When we bang flopped the one, they were running, and you we – had one that was nine and a half that we flipped over and, and mm-hmm. with a brown eye shot um, on the on the run. I had it out. We about fucked up the double. And I didn't even want to tell Clay when I got back. He was like super happy. He's mm-hmm. like, he looks at me, he slapped me in the back of the head. He goes, that wasn't the lead ram, was it? And I was like, mm-mm. Nope. He's like, uh, it was a one horn ram, wasn't it? And I was like, mm-hmm. <laughs> he's like, you got fucking lucky, buddy. I was like, yeah, hell yeah. But guys like Coke or Clay. Yeah years of experience you know you can't they see things that it just takes a lot of hours watching these sheep do their thing to start to pick up on those nuances it's something you know like i you know if we go out and we watch elk or mule deer you can see some of those herd tendencies uh and the way they interact like i can look at an animal with binoculars at like three miles away and probably tell you whether it's a a, you know buck a bull or a cow or a, a doe just based on behavior, even if I can't see antler if they're right. far enough. You know, so because we, we've spent more time doing that, we pick it up. But, yeah, I, I got a lot to learn on sheep. I've spent two seasons. There's there's some crossover between, like, high country mule deer hunting yeah. and the way we hunt sheep. Stocking-wise, they're um, yeah, about absolutely. identical. Yeah, yeah but, up in the open and all that. But, yeah, behavior, it's it's definitely a little different. Yeah, for sure. And I, it's funny you bring that up because we have all the tame milk by the house. Mm-hmm. Um, and Amy and I will go in the – because they're – they're tame. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you can, you can, I mean, damn they, near get, pet them. <laughs> they do get shot when they move over to Evergreen uh-huh. where they can hunt legally. But I was, it is a good way to learn herd yeah. characteristics. Mm-hmm. And one of the cows, um, 
out of the blue, there was a satellite bull, which was a big bull, uh, was close to that cow when she started. I think it had just started to go into estrus, or mm-hmm. really, and she. Even though Chris Rowe doesn't call it an estrus call, she started an excited mew. Mm-hmm. And that other bull was a couple hundred yards away messing with another cow doing the same thing. And the moment he looked over, I was like, watch, watch, watch. Before it happened, I was telling her that other bull was going to get his ass kicked. And she'd never seen that bull flew 200 yards and, mm-hmm. and, and couldn't get a hold of that other bull fast enough. But if you don't know what you're looking at, you don't know. You know. Yeah, you don't know. Both what look the, like big bulls. You can't tell which one's in charge. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And you don't know what the cow. They're mm-hmm. just making noise or whatever. And I mean, like the stuff that you learn from guys that have done it that long is just oh, uh, it's amazing. They, they've been. I, I'd imagine Clay's probably in somewhere, but but I know Coke. Coke has been hunting in this area longer than I've been alive. Yeah, good clay is kind of the same. You know, way, so right? it's like the the just the level of experience they have, how quickly they can judge animals, um, judge age, the that whole nine yards. It's it's remarkable. I got to do one hunt with him this year, um, and that was it was a treat to to go along with someone with that kind of experience and um, knock down a nice double broomer and and all that. It's it's I got a lot to learn. I'm I'm decent at putting animals down, but the whole maturity, learning how to judge age, especially on elk and deer, is something I'm working on right now, so I can pick out older animals even if they don't have giant antlers. Yeah, and I, do you, like, at a certain point in time on public land, you kind of got to throw that shit out the window Absolutely. because it's hard to yep to get on them. And I've tried to tell. Especially the population of elk in Colorado. If mm-hmm. you some in some areas, if you have a raghorn come in front of you, it's a gift. Like shoot yeah. that thing and get it on the ground because shoot a calf. Yeah, I mean it's it, a lot of guys would call me and we'd be you know I was at the store and I'd be setting them up with equipment and then they'd you know start asking me about elk hunting and they're like, well, what advice do you have? And my one piece of advice is don't pass. Like if you have a legal animal in OTC Colorado and you're new to it, do not pass. You know, get the success when you get the opportunity. Don't try to hold out for some giant. It, a giant will come with time once you shoot a lot of elk with your bow. And eventually, if you're in the woods enough, a giant will just walk in front of you. Exactly. Happened eventually. to me a few times. Yeah. <laughs> you know, 20 years down the road, it's going to happen eventually. So, and, you know, and, and I've had my opportunities that I've left on the table with, with nice bull elk that I would be – you know, and I'm I'm happy with everything I've killed, but I, you know, if you look at my um, photo album of animals, especially in those lower success uh, hunts, I am not picky. You know, I'm just trying to put stuff on the ground, but it makes me a lot better of a hunter that way. And you know, like you're saying, eventually something will come along that gives you an opportunity that's as big as you want it to be. Oh yeah, and see, targeting. Um, it's and I, I'm not you know begrudging or downgrading people that hunt private land and, I, and i've heard Mm-mm. some people private lands as hard as public and i'm like all right we'll I, make it yeah. all public then fuck stick yeah exactly <laughs> why are you hunting private then why yeah. don't you go to public uh and, and, and it, it it it's just how it is if um you have animals that are uh well like the, the lancasters say hunt the unbothered mm-hmm. um yep and if you're hunting stuff that's bothered less than others they're not going to be as keen or as smart and you know you think about take a 12 year old american kid plays nintendo mom wipes his ass for him <laughs> take a 12 year old kid from somalia oh not the same mm-hmm. different kids yeah. yeah oh yeah <laughs> uh, and so they say it's kind of the same for you know elk and mule deer public and private 
And I, I think once you get more experienced or find a better spot um, or, you know, draw a different tag, you can mm-hmm. be a little bit more selective. Like we were pretty selective on deer. I don't know how many deer I passed up this year with the recurve and I wanted to shoot an older buck. But the other thing is too physically, when are you going to burn out? Like, yeah. Well, and that, that's the thing. I the Whoever, when someone says the adage, uh, don't shoot something on the last day, you wouldn't shoot on the first. You said that backwards, but yeah. Backwards, the other way around. <laughs> don't shoot something on the first day, you wouldn't on the last. No, I said don't, it the right way. No, don't pass up on the first day, you wouldn't shoot on the last. You would shoot. Don't pass up something on the first day. That you would shoot on the last. That you would shoot on the last. Yeah, right? see, I fucked it up too. Yeah. What, so, and I think they try to say. Out of one of those, you, they're correct. Everyone yeah. knows what we're talking about. Just because I'm not good with words doesn't mean. You're not as okay, bad so as everyone's on the, So you know what I'm getting at. But I personally completely disagree. Because when I go in like this third rifle hunt I'm going to do, we know there's big deer in there. We know, you know, that you have the potential of killing a buck of a lifetime, maybe, you know, it, but I'm not going to hold out to the last day for the buck of a lifetime. If it's, you know, second to last day and a two point walks out, I'm seeing tenderloins on the grill. Like yeah. I'm more interested in shooting something and, you know, putting meat on, like I live off of it. So I got to get meat at some point. And so I, I, you know, if you're doing a really hardcore trophy hunt and you've waited a super long time to kill an animal or to get this tag, you know, maybe that's different. I still couldn't do that when I drew my tag in Wyoming. I still shot a younger bull when the opportunity presented. It's a good bull, though. Yeah, not bad. I mean, yeah. it, it was the it was my best bull with a bow. But, you know, compared to the one I was chasing, it doesn't hold a candle, uh, at least when you're talking about maturity. Um, but, yeah, it's I I think that there there is sometimes this, like, unspoken pressure to want to kill something bigger because that'll be more important but at the end of the day if i'm walking out with a heavy pack i'm i'm pretty stoked to be where i am oh for sure and if if uh you know trophy hunting's your thing by all means you know i mean absolutely i just uh for me well you know how much we're in the same boat i mean amy has to <laughs> frank and i we're probably i would say realistically three to four hundred pounds of meat a year mm-hmm. frank and i are going through yep I mean, and that's might be a little bit low. Like we're having chili or steak or fajitas or burgers every, every night. Yeah, if not a couple times a day. Now, Amy gets tired of eating it, so she'll make fish or turkey, you know, mm. herself. But like when she makes burgers, we cook three pounds of burger up because I eat it at lunch, mm-hmm. you know, or whatever. Absolutely. So, you know, you figure as an example, um, if, if like when I was a construction worker, right, a normal – because it's, it's different now. I can be out there longer. But let's say this mule deer hunt. That mule deer hunt would have taken every bit of vacation I would have allotted for for big game season in Colorado when I was working construction. I took a lot of unpaid time off. But mm-hmm. I would have killed that deer, but it would have sucked up all my time. Yeah. Um, so you've got 65 to 80 pounds of, of meat from a, a mule deer, let's say. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and, and again, tipping stuff over isn't that – easiest thing in the world and i'm not saying especially with a bow oh lord yeah especially (laughs) with a reaper yeah that we're gonna starve if we don't put food on the table yes Mm -hmm. you're obviously we can go to the grocery store but it is the leanest and cleanest um and in it i mean it 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 does i don't say it saves money but if you're on a budget and you get it done hey you know 500 pounds of meat's a lot of meat (laughs) if you don't um 
chase gear more than you should and you don't get caught up in in some of that like keeping up with the jones when it comes to equipment you know when you get your your setup you can be set up in a way that you could fill your freezer consistently if you put the time in um with that limited time off like you're talking about you just have to you know pick hunts that are a little more oriented towards more meat and less effort like a late season cow elk hunt or something of that regards rather than trying to trophy hunt a mule deer in the high country with a recurve that's just <laughs> not the most efficient way to fill a freezer some guys do it but I, it's just more of the feeling of achievement than anything it's certainly not for a higher success rate although i have been super successful good, yeah, yeah absolutely. I, I, above I, the average that's for sure takes a lot of effort yep. more than i anticipated <laughs> <laughs> but i said th- the other you know when you're looking at it too i don't do this as much but you and frank do you hunt, I don't know about every, I don't know if you hunt muzzleloader, but you hunt gun and bow, and mm-hmm. that also really extends your season and your oh, chances. Yeah. Yeah, you you had me on the archery purist thing for a little <laughs> bit. And, you know, and I, and I did all right for myself, but then um, there was just so much, like, your se- you know, your season is only so long. So, and so you miss a lot of hunts. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I, you know, I, recently I spent a little more time with the old boomstick and, it's still pretty fun to shoot something with a rifle at 200 yards. I enjoy that. You know, it, it is still... after getting your ass kicked on a mule deer hunt. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's the. Uh, me and Josh were talking the other day about you know how which Josh Josh Cook, Cook. yeah yeah uh, we were talking about how nice it is to go on like a doe antelope hunt with a rifle after a long archery season because yeah. I mean it's a super typically a, a pretty. Uh, it's a done deal. Easy hunt. Yeah. yeah. You can knock a couple down in a day and, and call it good and never have to really get that far from the truck. It's just good to get a little frustration out and uh, diversify the freezer a little bit after a long archery season. Oh, yeah. I, I tell you, Amy said, uh, and she's serious, if I could just kill a moose every year, she'd be happy. Dude, she <laughs> loves moose. And what's great, when I first got back together, she didn't eat red meat yeah. like, at all. Now, mm-hmm. I mean, she's like addicted to the moose. Yeah. But what... um gear wise or whatever if you were gonna what are some not you don't have to lay down your whole gear list what are some of the things that you generally try not to leave home without especially with as much hunting you do and everywhere you're at so i mean like let's just assume we got you know everyone has a decent clothing like i have my clothing system set up outside of that um especially in alaska what i ran into this year that was um pretty eye-opening and not just uh you know ride the Kafaru train since we're on the Kafaru pat, uh, cast. But the your guys, is, I was taking your super tarp with us, and we are able to pitch that in snowstorms, rainstorms, keep the client dry, keep us dry. That was huge. Having just like a lightweight tarp, whether it's, you know, smaller or bigger than the, the super tarp, having something that you could get under and keep yourself out of the elements and dry as long as possible. Absolutely will always have that with me. Um, and then the... Uh, Trekking poles, I would say, I know that this is so simple and I'm sure plenty of people know about this, but I brought an extra pair of trekking poles and that was probably the number one item I had in my backpack to make sure the client could get where they wanted to go. And then as soon as something hit the dirt, we all had, you know, at least one, if not two poles going to just help with the knees. And I know a lot of people make fun of them, but when it comes to putting heavy weight on your back or when I'm really fatigued after a long hike and I'm getting towards the end to be able to tap into my upper body and use that and take some stress off the legs. Frank uses them because he's got weak ankles too. Mm -hmm. Um, Helps the stability and all that. I don't use them as much as I probably should. I use that 
the hippie stick. I the uh, mm-hmm. Stubai, the you know, I use one. It's a walking stick ice axe. Yep. For me, um, I didn't use one when we packed our well my buck out, and we went down a horrible um, route. But I was, you know, it was the second day back. My legs were good. Yeah. Um, yep. Fresh. Yep. Fresh. But uh, man, it can't be stressed the amount it puts you in four wheel drive in my opinion going uphill and it uh puts you in four low going downhill so to speak you can really stabilize yourself and save your knees with walking sticks absolutely Uh, and i don't think people i used to make fun of them too um and i'm like one i think a lot of people make fun of don't backpack hunt yeah um yeah is part of it and you know, my redneck upbringing or whatever, I'm like, walking sticks, that's for fairies. Well, shit, I tell you what. Not, Turns out not, I'm a fairy, Aaron. Yep, <laughs> just kidding. Yeah, I use them all the time. I think I got four sets in the garage. Um, yeah. They're great. But yeah. what what else? Um, You know, it was one thing I have a hard time with, and I know that there's puffy pants and I've started to use those more, but I have a hard time keeping my legs and my feet warm. A lot of times, like, my boots... What I've found is, you know, you can do a lot. You can get a variety of boots, whether they're leather or, you know, more of like a mountaineering synthetic boot. I will eventually get my feet wet. I just can't avoid that if I'm in wet terrain for long enough. Um, And so when I'm hiking around, my feet are nice and warm and good. But I have been using the Whoopi a ton this season. Around your feet. Yeah, I actually had to go take it into David to get it patched because I had a a giant hole in it from dragging it through rocks for too long. Um, But, yeah, it's all wrapped those around my feet and my legs. And uh, that's made a huge difference in keeping me comfortable on those long glassing stints after, you know, when you're multiple days into a hunt and you're starting to just deal with that general cold discomfort that you can't really escape in in the late season. That has been... Um, crucial for me. I got to I gotta bring one to Alberta because oh, yeah. when they drop off for you to glass, uh-huh. you know, five, six hours straight. It's, and you're not moving. Well, and in some cases in Alberta, you and I say you can't, but you don't really want to flag your position off yeah. depending upon where they, they, the deer are. They don't have a lot to hide behind. Mm-hmm. Um, so I got to do the same thing. And yeah. then I, I have mitts with hot hands for my gloves, oh, but yeah. I lose feeling totally in my feet to a point where I feel like I've got you know, little nubs when I'm walking around till they warm up. Yeah. That's, uh, that's probably my hardest thing to keep warm is my feet. Um, and so I don't know, I got to play with some insulated boots or something to get through it. But the, uh, it's funny you said mitts as much as I want to be a pair of beaver mitts. The next best thing I got was, uh, I got those first light mitts, um, Ninja turtle gloves. Yeah. The Ninja turtle gloves. I love those things. Yeah. They, they got soaked multiple times, um, on the outside and never leaked all the way through. And then even if they did get a little wet, that removable liner is the way to go. But it's funny cause in Alaska, all the guys, especially, you know, more so for a horseback hunt rather than a backpack hunt. Um, you, everyone's just running Helly Hansen, Grundens, you know, uh, those, those like bright orange rubber, gloves that those the crabbers use yeah the, like that's a rain gear and the funny and that set of rain gear is like less than two hundred dollars and and you are as waterproof as you can possibly be Pe- people and i think it's a letdown when they ask me about rain gear because i run i run swazi rain gear a bunch mm-hmm. yep. um the the longer jacket up on top yep. but when people ask what's the most waterproof rain gear i'm like well Helly hansen is Rubber. the yeah. only uh-huh. one <laughs> <laughs> and even even then that will eventually soak through, yeah. you know? So I think that's that's something that, you know, on a backpacking hunt, something, because I, I run Sitka Stormfront. I was able to get a nice set um, before I, I left the store. And 
And that's done fantastic for me. But when I'm riding horses and you have brush pushing against your legs and all that, like it, it leaks through absolutely like my pants underneath are wet. I, my jacket underneath are wet. Are they as soaked as they would be if I wasn't wearing it? No, but it's something to keep in mind with that backpack and rain gear that, you know, you will soak through it. It will get wet. Um, and, but it'll keep you from getting like you know, everything else soaked through to the bone. It'll just be damp on the inside, rather. We used that cryptic altitude rain gear this year. Did you like it? I did like it, but Jesus Christ, it's expensive. <laughs> do you do you want to hear our experience with that yeah. in Alaska? Well, or... No, no, lay it on me because, as you know, and it's important for people to yeah. listen to hear this, mm-hmm. yeah. in Colorado, your obstacle is altitude. Yes, in my, exactly. In my until you get really late season, mm-hmm. you're not really worried about weather. No, nope. there's nothing, no place that I think of you can't build a fire with relatively little effort. Um, you don't have to worry about when I say weather, rain. Mm-hmm. You know, lightning. Yeah, you can whatever you can yeah. die from lightning. But generally, what's the killer here is is altitude. So lightweight is generally more favored than anything. And we went through four storms five mm-hmm. storms on the one hunt um good colorado storms but you don't have the brush yeah. no underbrush here uh-huh. <laughs> so and i'm glad you brought this up so for us it's stretchy it's 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 water colorado waterproof mm-hmm. and we don't really durability wise there's nothing i mean yeah i wasn't so it was good for that but yeah, lay it on me because I've heard both best rain gear ever for British Columbia and Alaska, and I've heard other guys say no. So go ahead. Yeah, so um, my buddy, who he was actually the guy I hunted. He was my guide. I was his wrangler, his guideling. Um, he ran the Cryptek Altitude, and for backpacking rain gear, he, he liked it for the most part, uh, but he... He has a really bad tendency of not taking a sleeping bag when he knows he's going to be sleeping out on the mountain, <laughs> which is just dumb, yeah. um, in my opinion. But he's tough enough to handle it. So he he would go up and he just put all his clothes on and sleep on the side of the mountain. And he was sleeping one night with that altitude stuff on, and he got to the point where he took it off and was warmer. Um, and he actually just left it right there. He took it off while he was sleeping, um, and left it right there on the side of the mountain because he didn't want to use it anymore. It just wasn't doing. Was it leaking? Uh, yeah, and he said it was colder, so all his stuff was getting wet, and he was he was as soon as he took it off, he got warmer. I don't know if this is just like his delirium of like pre hypothermia kicking yeah. in or what, but he was not. I can not definitely remarkably see impressed. it insulating cold. You know, a cold yeah, person. Yeah, keeping cold in if you're not. A hundred percent, I can see that mm-hmm. happening. Um, but it, it did leak. He was, you know, they were having sheets of rain come down at like 5,500 up there. You yeah. know, 5,500 elevation is kind of towards the higher end of where we go. We'll go higher a couple times, but that is kind of, you're on top of a mountain at that point. Um, and he was getting hammered pretty hard with sheets of rain. So, you know, it was probably just the volume of rain. Um, but the, the hard thing I have with that is, you know, man, that stuff's expensive. I, that's just, uh, especially on my budget, I have a hard time justifying that much money for a set of rain gear for you know what at least what i heard of it um but yeah he wasn't he sticks to he'll carry heli hansen up the mountain and use heli hansen when we uh pack in after sheep so you know it's a different level of of guy but he lives and breathes alaska i mean that's he's either fishing 
for uh, steelhead, you know, doing predator hunts or, or guiding and I doll know sheep. No one that uses Heli Hansen in Colorado. Maybe there's no, somebody. We don't need it. No. You know, I mean, we don't get the moisture. So. No, no, no. And I mean, I like the uh, that the one Swazi top that mm-hmm. I used, the long one, because it's it's bulletproof, right? Um, it will leak eventually. Yeah. I uh-huh. mean, but I like it because it is bulletproof. I don't have to wear rain pants that often because it does hang down pretty low. They have a lighter weight one too that that um, I don't know if you've seen that one, dude. It's I haven't seen the lightweight. Have you ever seen their Nahani? Their Nahani oh, I've pullover. Got one. Oh yeah, it's that warm. That thing as shit. is the most amazing sweatshirt. I've, it's heavy as shit. So like yeah. you know, yeah, well, no one's it's go- insulated, wind blocker, and fleece. And it's, <laughs> like the long cut on it, you know, it, it it's funny to me. What I found interesting was going and using that long cut to see the difference it made in keeping the wind warm. out of behind, the you know out of my back and and keep my butt drier. Yeah, I don't know why every jacket just isn't cut long. I mean, it's it's like we have this like weird shortcut that is the trend in our clothing now yeah and it just doesn't make any sense to me no and personally i, I uh this so that and that's a a piece that is um you you know it can get wet and it gets super you still stay warm with super it super warm yeah. but i tell you where it's come in handy for me and what's nice about that and cryptic now makes a version of that yeah. um uh-huh. is uh when it's super windy and you're a trad bow it, yep. things whisper quiet mm-hmm. like super. what Tree stand hunting. Mm-hmm. Dude, that thing's the bomb.com because a few different things. One, the wind, it really, because there's a cinch tie. So not mm-hmm. only does it hang down past your ass, you it can... cuts down the wind. And yeah, you yeah. put your hands in your pockets. It's super, super, super quiet. Um, yeah. And, and again, it's insulated. So, mm-hmm. but it's, it's funny the difference in gear from down here to up there. Oh, you, I mean, and there's a reason that people in Yukon, NWT, Alaska, will kind of poo-poo or make fun of mm-hmm. things down here where I'm like, and I try to stress this, the what will kill a person here and happens, and I've seen it happen to guys that have come down from Alaska, altitude. They yeah. just, they're oh, not, yeah. you can't, you can't, no matter how tough you are, if you are, um, you are like uh, predisposed to altitude sickness, mm-hmm. you can't make the headache go away. No, you can't. It's not something you can like, you know, <laughs> well, away. I mean, what Frank got, Frank had hape, right? High he altitude pulmonary hypoxia. edema. Yep. 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 So he, you know what he got, that's serious shit. And as much time as he spent in the high country, it shows you that, you know, even if you do grow up there and, and spend a lot of time up there, you, you're still pretty vulnerable to it. And, you know, like those Alaska boys, I live high higher than the highest we hunt oh yeah right yeah. now yeah you know my apartment's at a higher elevation than than what they hunt and so you know you you have about the same vertical gain at the end of the day uh and you might even you know a lot of that alaska stuff so you're, you're going through moss covered boulder fields and um dwarf birch and alders and like all kinds of nasty terrain to go through but you don't have that you know you're not camping at 11 12 000 elevation which has you know certain people it really messes with i've been fortunate enough and i've avoided uh any any episodes of that but you know that, that what happened to frank last year that was pretty eye-opening oh yeah well what would you say like uh you've been in the song graze where we hunt or what would you say like physically to me colorado is worse than anywhere i've ever hunted excluding weather if you if you cut weather out so i would say I would say it's nastier. Um, oh man, it's so it's for me. It's it's different in way. Like 
I would say Alaska's high country, at least where we are in the central range, uh, the central Alaskan range, can be nastier. Mm-hmm. That you can get into some really rough, cliffy, um, just r- stuff that, you know, especially dragging a client along, you don't really want to bring them through. We'll be dumb enough to go through it, but we don't like to take a client through there so no one gets hurt. Um, but the the thing that we have that they don't is our down timber is so terrible. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, and, and it's like, I don't know if, you know, I'm, I'm sure you, you know, you've dealt with it plenty, but packing an animal out, having a heavy pack and trying to take something out through down timber is probably my worst nightmare. I mean, it is. And the thing that you got to deal with in Colorado typically is you got to hike up through timber and get there. And if you have a trail, it's not a big deal. But when you start to go off trail, which, you know, we typically do while hunting, um, my buddy and I made the third rifle last season. We just made a game, um, I, 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 we called it down timber or something like that, but you, you get like points for going under, you get points for going <laughs> over and you know, whoever had the most at the end, but it's just, you know, you, you're, it, it makes a one mile hike instead of being able to knock it out in 20 minutes, it'll take you an hour, hour and a half if it's bad enough. And that's probably my worst nightmare. That's what I don't like the least. But I think a lot of the Alaska boys would show up down here and be like, this is a lot like, uh, what we have to deal with pretty much. You know, a lot of the high country. Yeah. I mean, our our high country is real similar. Um, We don't have the rivers they do. They got big water to deal with down there. That's a lot different. Um, Well, and I I think some people, rain is kryptonite, me being one of them. I Mm -hmm. hate rain. Being Uh, wet constantly. Yeah. And then other people say kryptonite might be altitude. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you get towards like Western, like Washington and Oregon or parts of North Idaho or Western Montana, where you have the rain, the cliffs, the moss, the old growth, Mm -hmm. and the deadfall. And it's just... You might just shoot yourself. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So I I don't hunt those areas anymore Uh because I I want to have fun. (laughs) I hate underbrush, rhododendrons, stinging nettles, shit like that. Mm. And, And... I've had people message me, be like, oh, you're losing your roots. And I'm like, no, no, I ran from them. Yeah. I didn't lose them. I, I ran mean, away. That was intentional. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, and, and some people dig on that. As far as f- photography, it is an amazing place to photograph. Oh, um, God. Coastal rainforests are just unbelievable. Mm-hmm. But the last Roosevelt I shot was maybe five miles back on a logging road, and we mm-hmm. shot it off a steep th- I think from the moment the arrow went through, it rained the entire time. It took mm. us two days to get it out. And I, I remember just sitting in the car. Everything was foggy and wet. Mm. You couldn't see shit. And you're wiping the inside of the windows down thinking, I'm never going to hunt Roosevelt's again. This is not on a backpack hunt. This yeah. is horrible. And then you take Colorado where I don't mind it at 12, 13,000 feet. I don't mind five, 6,000 elevation gain in lost days. But you throw a little deadfall rhododendrons and rain involved in that, I might go eat pizza and say, fuck it. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> it, you, there's just like uh, – there's absolutely a different level, a different kind of suck depending on the terrain you're in. But, I, you know, Colorado, if you're not smart, you can get yourself into some some pretty, uh, pretty brutal stuff pretty quick. I mean, even on the divide, you can – you, I found some holes that I probably will not try to go through again <laughs> and try to be a little smarter about how I approach it. I'll probably go back in there, but just in a different way um, than I did the first time. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I, I, 
Again, I think, though, the gear, like we had mentioned before, when you're taking advice from guys on gear, you definitely want to take advice. And when you're when you're listening to them, make sure you know where they're hunting at. Because mm-hmm. um, by all, you know, like my rain gear probably doesn't look a lot like a guy that hunts western Washington, Alaska, because a lot of times in Colorado, you don't have to bring it. No. Um I don't know. I look at the weather forecast, man. If it looks fairly peachy, I'm not bringing rain gear. You probably got a tarp, right? I mean, you could, you could leave oh, your rain gear, take a, a little tarp with you, and you'd be covered. The guys at Hilleberg were talking about this because um, I'll run their lighter weight tents when I'm not supposed to because I know what I could be getting myself into. The rain gear is the same way. If I know I can build a fire, which you can everywhere in Colorado, Just about, yep. if I know it's going to be sunny the next day, which it almost always is, mm-hmm. I'm not putting myself in that much jeopardy because the worst I have is a trip, a wet trip back to the tent, strip naked, get in my bag, mm-hmm. zip up, the shit will dry out the next day. Yep. I might miss a morning of hunting if I'm too much of a vagine to throw my shit on and hunt. Mm-hmm. There's days it does not stop for days in oh, certain yeah. parts where you don't have that option. <laughs> yep. So, yeah, yeah, we we took a a guy uh, from Spain out, and he's a pretty experienced ibex guide out over there, and drug him through the Alaska range through some really rough stuff. Some some of the other towards the head of this river where and you get some into some of those basins where the the glacier is just starting to melt off and you'll get those big rock mounds and you get big boulder fields and it's just like freshly you know in the last probably couple decades that that uh, glacier melted away all the way and and so we were taking him through some super nasty country and as you get to the heads of some of these ranges they just make their own weather so we we're getting just pouring rain. I think we got, of eight days, we had sheets of rain coming down on us on us every day, but two of them, um, one of which we killed his ram. But by the end of it, he was like, holy shit, I've, I'm wet and I'm miserable. But he was like, that was amazing. You know, there's something about just dealing with that misery for eight days to finally get your animal that makes it uh, pretty rewarding at the end of the day. The only thing it you crushes camera gear. Oh, that's, I, you know, right now I've I've broken the last couple cameras I've had, so I'm at the moment cameraless. But, uh, yeah, it was a good season not to have a camera because we were just getting rained on constantly. A lot and of guys I wouldn't have been able to keep it around. Run that Olympus TG2 or whatever. Oh, it's really? fully waterproof. Is it? The photographer, the camera's okay, mm-hmm. yep. but I think you fired underwater and really everything I, yeah i might need something like that because i uh i'm pretty good at breaking things especially expensive electronics i've broken a camera almost every time i've went to bc from really? water damage <laughs> or falling in a river <laughs> yep. or whatever mm-hmm. and and i'm very anal like i i know how to take i say i know i do my best to take care of it i think i say i think i know when it's that thick the condensation when there's that much moisture in the air it doesn't matter what you do. It yeah. shit's getting wet. If it, unless it just lives in a dry bag that's in a dry bag, you're still probably going to get some sort of condensation. With some in silica it. in there. Yeah, to exactly. Suck up moisture. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I've, I've, um, I just used my phone this year. Just took, you know, some pictures we could. It's it's fun to look back. Last year I had a little that little Sony point and shoot and it made it throughout the whole season. Yeah. Um, you know, I got some decent photos for what it is. I'm I'm nothing special with the camera, but it's cool to have something to look back on with with everyone a year or two later and and share the memories again. 
No, definitely. For sure. Well, crap, man, we should probably wrap this thing up. I got a couple more I've got to do today. So I'm glad you came in. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Aaron. And then what's uh, what was Coke's uh, deal now? Again? Yeah, Coke is uh, Midnight Sun Safaris, and his name is Coke Wallace. He's the outfitter that runs it. Um, but, yeah, we do sheep, doll sheep, uh, interior grizz, moose, and then if you're lucky to draw – uh, one of the caribou tags in 20A, uh, you can do it as an add-on. We have giant 4-inch-plus caribou running around. Well, there you go. So if you guys get a hold of Coke, make sure you let him know that Grant and I said he loves little boys. <laughs> <laughs> ah, You'll <thank> like that. <laughs> <laughs> All right, everybody. Thanks for tuning in.